All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, presented by the Nation Network. Subscribe for free on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome. Oh, welcome. Welcome to episode. (laughs) 46, a very special episode of the Oilers Nation Radio Podcast brought to you by our friends at Skip the Dishes. Skip the Dishes will deliver you guys food whenever you fancy. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to go out into a social setting, make eye contact with anybody, that kind of thing. They'll deliver you, you know, like Subway, Wendy's, don't, that we're not, kind of, that we're not kind of this thing. Again. What are you, Sorry, what I'm not going to list every single thing they'll deliver you. You Thank can go you. on the website, skipthedishes.com, all kinds of options. Great stuff delivered. I am going to deliver you guys a little bit of trivia right now, since I haven't done that in a little while. Mm-hmm. I know Tyler thinks he's hot shit. You. And Dan thinks he's a real smart guy. He's looking at me right no, now. I don't like true. it. You know that's not true. So it's podcast number 46, as Dan explained earlier when he uh, uh, jumped in front of me. Not bothered by it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> we pre-agreed so to have me <laughs> lead and then boom, immediately jumped in. Changed my mind. <laughs> um, so it's podcast number 46. There's four guys who have worn number 46 for the Edmonton Oilers. Can you name all four of those guys? Zach Stortini. Zach Stortini. I so know it's. I know one of them. Zach Stortini. One of them. Zach Stortini. He actually retired yeah. today. Oh, did he? He announced his retirement. Dan put wow. him out as the uh, day forty-six countdown because apparently there's forty-six days left till the season starts. No, that is incorrect. No, there is sixty-one days. Oh, there's sixty-one the days. I have no idea what's going on. It's all good. I used Grant Fear and then I knocked off Grant Fear jersey. I don't know what day of the week it is right now. But straight up. So that's one of the three. Can you name the most recent one? He was here in two thousand eighteen. Spooner. It's Ryan Spooner. It's not Ryan Spooner. In 2018. He was here in 2018. 2017-18 season, but he arrived in 2018, kind of like the end of the year. Went on a little bit of a heater. heater. Didn't make the team the next year. Went on a bit of a heater. Uh, I don't even... Hints. 
Hints. Okay. He uh, signed a minor league deal with the Leafs this year. Ke- Keevan Gravel. Kevin Gravel. Kevin Gravel. Kevin Gravel. What is Kevin Gravel? I hate the way Kevin Gravel says his name, so I say it bad all the time. Does he say it like that? No. Oh. But he needs to decide. What's wrong, either... with, the, what's wrong with Kevin Gravel? Is it gra- Gravel or Gravel? It's Gravel. Uh, have you He's heard of him? He's the second it? evolution in the Geodude, Kevin Gravel, and Golem chain. Okay, whatever. Um, so it's not Gravel. It's it, uh, Aberg, Pope Pontus. It's Pontus Aberg. Yep. That's two out of the Oilers four legend. right there. The third guy that I don't think you guys are going to get because you guys don't know anything mm-hmm. is a former top prospect of the team from the early 2000s. He was drafted in 1999. Yanni Rita. Hack. Look at that. Get out of here. Did he nail it? Was it? Dan knows Yanni Rita. Oh, wow. Man. Danny Rita, my hint was going to be he was Danny involved. Rita. Danny Rita. <laughs> he was Hello. Da- Yanni, Danny, Whoa, Manny. I broke him. We got to restart, Coom. Manny, <laughs> Danny, Ranny, Yanni Rita was. Who was the fourth one, though, Coom? But I have to say what my, my hint was going to be because oh, yeah. it was interesting. But you were just in. so Sorry, fast because you know Oilers trivia so well. Dan sits there and he just stares at jersey numbers for hours. It's insane. <laughs> Stares at them. I know more about jersey numbers because I'm doing the <laughs> countdown this year. That's the only thing. Yanni Rita was involved in one of the low-key trades in 2006. He was traded along with Corey Cross, Dick Tarnstrom. Yanni Rita. Where did they get Dick Tarnstrom from? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Ah, then Four. he went to Columbus after. I think then, so. Yeah. And then they got spot check from Chicago. For Tony Salmaline. And then he went, to Montreal, went to he went to Montreal along with Sergei Samsonov. Salmaline had never played a game in North America after that trade. Mm. So that was a good deal. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure. I don't think that's accurate. Tony I think Salmalainen? He, I, I thought he went right he to played, Europe right after that. I think he played for the Chicago Blackhawks. Salmalainen, yes. He played 57 games for the Blackhawks in 06 or 07. So oh, Dan, that's awkward. Just took, just took all the Yanni Rita knowledge that yeah, I faked. I, I, everybody was really and impressed with you. You earned a lot of clout with your quick Yanni Rita, but you lost yeah. all of it by saying that Tony Salmalainen played, didn't play in the league. Was there a fourth 46? There was a fourth 46. I don't think you guys are going to get him. He was drafted by the New Jersey Devils in the 12th round of the 1990 entry draft. He was the first ever player to wear that number for the Oilers. Ken seven. Danico. No. I heard New Jersey Devils and I thought Mickey yeah. Mouse. No. Yeah, I, I don't know my Devils Here's history. a little peek behind the curtain. This is the second recording we've done of this. And oh, Dan pulled the lid off of it. So Coom told us who this is and we still, Uremchuk and I legitimately don't remember. Yeah, we, 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 we've already done this bit, but Mike, the mics weren't working. So we came back. That's why Dan knew who Yanni Rita was. So don't tell yourself if you're listening. It's to even me. worse now. Don't tell yourself that Dan knows trivia. He doesn't. I'm going to interject right now because this is a massive episode for our podcast. It might go down as our most listened to podcast ever. Because of our guest we have coming up. And, and we spent the first like five minutes doing a second take of number 46 trivia. Okay, so who was the first guy to wear number 46 then, buddy? I don't know, but... I uh, already told you who it was five minutes It was minutes Todd ago. Reardon. <laughs> it's Todd Reardon. Capitals coach, Todd Reardon. Bingo. Bing, bing, bing. So yeah, episode 46 brought to you by our friends over at Skip the Dishes. If you want to skip that segment... I wouldn't blame you. That no, no, they, they stuck with us. They knew. They were in. If you, uh, yeah, if you, you can skip uh, skip ahead, maybe 10 more minutes, Grant Fear will be um, on the phone with us. So if you want to skip. But the, don't, because there's news coming yeah, in, boys. Yeah, tons of stuff to talk about. So this week, Minnesota Wild. They fired they, their GM. They fired their GM after one year, which I didn't know you were allowed to do. I That's thought crazy. you had to hold on to them for at least like three years. He had an got. 
ugly one-year tenure. You did. You you were uh, recapping that this morning. For yes, school. I wrote my What Would You Do Wednesday, Fun Times by the Pool, Warm Weather, Dog Days of Summer Edition, What Would You Do Wednesday, Friday Edition, today. And my question was, which I kind of hijacked from the uh, uh, Dan Tenser there, yeah. and Lieutenant Eric on the yeah, radio. my boy Rick. Yep. Lieutenant Eric. So I, I hijacked their, it was, it was kind of going around on Twitter. I saw it and I thought it was funny. They talked about it on the radio today. I figured I would, I would bounce off of it too. I said, if you were writing a letter of reference for Peter Chirelli, who's one of the names in Minnesota's GM search. Inexplicably. Well, other than the fact that everything is time is a full circle. Yeah. So what I said was so so everything. so Paul Fenton was that assistant general manager in Nashville who everybody said, oh, this guy's the next guy who's going to be you know an amazing genius. Studying under David yeah. Poyle for he so was, long. He was so good at drafting and developing and finding talent. He came to Minnesota and he was bad. He traded Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask. Victor Rask sucks. He you know yeah. his, his last bow on the top. He at the trade deadline he gave up Michael Granlin, good player. Sold pretty low. Kevin sold Fiala. Charlie Coyle. Yeah, it's just like, like a, you traded Grandland for Fiala and then Coyle for Donato. You basically traded just downgrades. You traded them for guys who you're hoping one day are that good. Yeah, it's the it's the magic. It's the, uh, the mystery box. Beans. Yeah, mystery box and the boat thing. You have the boat, but the mystery box could be the boat, and the box could be anything. Exactly, it could be a boat. Exactly. You know how much we wanted a boat. You traded away the boat for the box, and the box might be a boat. Boat's probably the box is probably not gonna be a boat anyway. The last thing he did, he signed Matt Zuccarello to a big contract. That team's already in cap hell. That was just a ribbon on the top. They fired him. And now I think they want a guy with some pedigree. Names being thrown around. Garth Snow, um, Dean Lombardi, uh, Ron Hextall, all guys who have been fired that have pedigree, who GM the NHL teams to differing amounts of success in the past like you know decade. One of those names that's coming up is our old pal Peter Chiarelli. And I would love to see Peter Chiarelli back in the saddle. I don't know about you guys, but I think that's a great thing. Oh, I want the stories of, like, it's great. It would give us endless Twitter content, would it not? Well, Coombe made the great point. He didn't put it in the article, I don't think, but that, uh, that Oilers Nation used to have a staff of six people. And then Peter Chiarelli got fired. And now we're down to three. Yeah, we have three full-time, three full-time staffers, staffers now. Staffers. We used to have six. And it's you, it's Dan, Coombe, and Begged Milk. Yeah. That's it. Full-time wow. staffers. Chris and got fired for promoting Flat Earth Agenda on the website. Uh, although, like, I'm not full-time, but I'm here a lot. Mm-hmm. You're not so, here a lot. I'm not discounting you, Tyler. I'm I just, know, but I'm, I'm just, just saying. You know, you're not full-time because you got a uh, bigger and better thing. Don't go around telling people that you're a full-time staff, I don't. Right? I don't. <laughs> don't worry. So I don't. Since Peter Chiarelli left, there hasn't been as much to talk about. And that's one of the things I said in my post was one of my points in defense of Peter Chiarelli was that the Minnesota Wild are probably the most boring franchise in North American professional sports, despite the fact they're called the Wild is an irony. It's an irony like how the Winnipeg Jets are called the Jets, despite the fact that Winnipeg doesn't have an airport. Stupid. The Wild are called the Wild, and they're boring. So go ahead and sign a GM who's not afraid to make a deal, not afraid to create talking points, do stuff. Honestly, That's what Peter Chiarelli does. If they hire Chiarelli, we could probably start up wildnation.com, and Kay. it would be ran pretty well. So here's a random story from when I started at the Nation. I don't even know like how how much I had actually tweeted about being at the nation or anything. Yeah. But I just had this guy come out of the blue from Minnesota and he's like, Man, you guys need a Minnesota Wild Nation. And I was like, Okay. And I forwarded it off to the higher ups at the yeah. time. And of course they just scoffed at it. But you know what? They may circle back now. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? If if Peter Chirelli's in there, it's like 
it's it's it has the potential to be just like Oilers Nation. I mean, M- Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities, they have uh, w- what used to be the largest mall in the world. The, the mall yeah, America. Bag Milk pointed that out. Yeah. That, that we have West to navigate Mall. That. That'd yes. be huge. He's always been good at trading the mall. Yeah, it's identical situations, and it'd be a perfect fit. It would be. And if Peter Chiarelli were hired by the Minnesota Wild, I would be jumping on the phone with him immediately if I were Ken Holland to be acquiring... Jared Spurgeon. Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba. Jason Zucker. Yeah. I'm, Joel I'm, Erickson. I'm, 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 I'm trying to think of players in the Minnesota Wild. I, I would covet, but I'm having a hard time. I think time that's it. So. There's Mikko actually Poyden. only four, yeah. I was trying to make a make a Taylor Hall reference. They don't have a player of that caliber on the roster. Well, no, you could think of like Hall for Larson on like a lower scale. Like Russell. Zucker for Benning. Yeah. Russell for Erickson Eck. Russell for Zucker type of thing. Yeah. Right? Shirelli needs this cowboy, all that jazz. Do they do pool yard before their first round pick next year, like the Griffin Reinhardt trade? Well, we do know yeah. that Shirelli was going to pick Erickson Eck over Barzell, so I yeah. think he would value Erickson oh, Eck that's quite a, good a bit. Point, yeah, but he knows then. Yeah, that's true. You're right. He did covet Dumba as well. He, he was he, there was rumors about Nugent Hopkins going to Minnesota Dumba. for Dumba, but maybe so, you can circle back now and do like a Brodziak for Dumba. Yeah. Or the Kobe con- Cave. The Twitter jokes would be endless. It would be fantastic. And it then, would just be a meme account. And then yeah. when we're sick of Chirelli running, see, this is a this is this is the three D chess thing. When you're sick of Chirelli running the Minnesota Wild, you feel like you sucked him dry and you don't want him in, in the league anymore. You trade them Colby Cave, and that's the kiss of death. For that's Peter always Chirelli. been his kiss of death. As he acquires Colby Cave, he gets fired. We so should let erect him, a Colby Cave statue outside of Rogers. Yeah, place. you let him let Chirelli run amok and do weird things for two years, then you trade Colby Cave over the wild, and then he gets fired. I do have to say it is it is impressive that Minnesota was able to cut bait on Fenton so fast. Like you don't see that in today's NHL. You don't see that in professional sports. Yeah. GMs are usually given a lot of leash to do their to do their thing and make their mistakes like Chirelli was. And uh Minnesota was able to just say, you know what? We've you gotta respect enough. it. Yep. You gotta respect the quick move, but Based on the fact they're interviewing Shirelli, there's a chance they go, this is like them being like, well, you know what? It's about time we stop doing crystal meth and then just immediately picking up like a heroin addiction. Yeah, <laughs> but you got to respect them giving up crystal meth. I guess, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. This is, this is like quitting smoking to start doing blow. Yeah. It's like, like oh man, I get a really big cigarette craving when I'm driving in the morning. I like the taste of it with coffee. I'm going to do a line when I wake up. Yeah. They, like, <laughs> credit for the one decision, but oh boy, they might I don't do really, that. really just, mess up this next one. It's just, it's the NHL though. That's what they do. It's an old yes, boys club. It's, they, it's, the, it's a circle. NHL GMing is, is, is like being a CFL quarterback. There's yeah. like, there's like what, like. Eight CFL teams, I think. Nine, maybe, Dan. I don't know. You like the CFL. There's eight. There's like 11 quarterbacks There's that all nine. circle around. Nine, sorry. Everyone oh, has yeah, to play. There's a rule you have to play for every team in the league before you retire. It's like in the NHL, there's 31 teams. There's 35 GMs. They all spin around. That's what they do. It's musical chairs. All right. We got to thank a sponsor because coming up in like a matter of, well, seconds, actually, he's about to call. Grant Fear is going to join us live oh, on boy. the Sherwood Ford phone line. No pressure. Just, no a hot, just a Hall of Famer. Just a guy whose number is hanging in the rafters. I'm nervous. I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I think LaRock's number should be up there with him. We've already interviewed George. So, so uh, let's do it. All right. We're going to step aside. Grant Fear just around the corner. Oilers Nation Radio. Welcome back to Oilers Nation Radio. Tyler Uremchuk, Nation Dan. Coom is here as well. And we have a very special guest on the line, Grant Fear. Joining us, I believe uh, you're down in California right now, right, Grant? I am. I'm actually down in Palm Springs. 
Oh, great. Uh, how's your summer been going? How many times How many times a week do you get out on the golf course? Uh, on a good week, I might get out three or four times. On a bad week, once or twice. Beautiful. That's. Uh, I'm, I'm jealous of you. Yeah, Grant, me too. Days. Wow. Perfect. So, so uh, big, big topic uh, of discussion right now is uh, is the connection between Edmonton and Calgary. There's there's been more trades and more transactions between the two teams where guys are ending up uh, in the rival Battle of Alberta jerseys. You being one of the first people that did that uh, made that that leap. Uh, we want to know what it, what it's like to play on either sides of the Battle of Alberta. What what kind of excitement? What kind of challenges that comes with it? That's a little bit different. I mean, for me growing up in Edmonton, it was really different. Most of my friends are all diehard Oiler fans, so I had lots of people tell me that they cheer for me, but not for the Flames. So it, it was a little bit different, but also my mom was from Calgary. So for me, it wasn't as big a transition as it would be for some of the guys. On one of our last podcasts, we talked to Ladislav Schmid, and he's another one of those guys who went from the Oilers to the Flames. And he talked about how when he first got to Calgary, it was a little bit awkward. Like there were some guys there who like hated him a couple months ago and now he's on their team. Was there any of that for you? Like when you walked into the room, were there a few guys that were, it was a little bit awkward with? You know what? I was pretty lucky. I, I knew a lot of the guys that were in, in that dressing room. So it wasn't that big a transition. Plus it was the end of my career. So the big rivalry was already kind of dead and buried by that point. There wasn't as much of a battle of Alberta. If it had been in the mid eighties or so, it would have been a lot tougher. Fair enough. Eh? That's yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Do you have any? Do you have any uh, any wisdom for those guys, like uh, like a Lucic or or a Neil coming in here, or or even you know a, a Talbot and a and a Mike Smith? Is there anything you can kind of impart onto those guys? Uh, you just have to play. Maybe it's things just tune it out and play. I mean, yeah, it's always fun to play against the next team because you always want to do well, and sometimes you press a little too hard. But you just relax, play, and let it happen. Fair yeah, enough. That's fair. Uh, Mike Smith is one of those guys, like, I mean, Talbot to a lesser extent too, but Mike Smith's a goalie who's now getting into the later part of his career. Um, he's kind of taken one and two year deals. You're a goalie. You played late into your career as well. You were an effective starter late into your career. Is that just one of those things where if you take care of your body, it takes care of yourself sort of thing? And what do you, what would you say to people who maybe doubt Mike Smith and his ability to play late into his career? I think they should probably look at the films of the playoffs last year. I think Mike Smith was fabulous, especially in the Colorado series. Yeah, you're right, eh? I mean, just just because a guy's 36 or 37 years old doesn't mean he can't play. And I think fans lose confidence in goalies faster than goalies lose confidence in themselves. And watching Smitty at the end of last year, when he played with some confidence, I thought he played great. I think it's a good pickup for the Oilers. One, it's going to force him, if he wants to keep playing, he's going to have to play well. And two, it'll force Koskinen to be good otherwise Mike Smith's going to get a chance to play yeah actually we wanted to touch on that with you as well like Miko Koskinen towards the end of last year he had Anthony Stolarz playing behind him and on pretty much every night it was Koskinen had to be the guy had to be the guy now there's going to be someone pushing him what's that mindset like as a goalie when you're going into a season you know that the guy playing right behind you is capable of taking your job at any moment I think it's better for the team it's better for yourself because it forces you to be good every night and I think if you get two goalies that push each other, like Andy and myself pushed each other, which we knew we had to be good every night, otherwise you might sit for a week or two. So you get a good performance every night's what happens. What was and that? the team benefits and the goalies benefit. What's that relationship like with Andy, with someone like Andy Moog, when you're both kind of fighting for the same job, but at the same time you're both fighting for the team? Like, Describe what that's kind of like. Well, we're friends. I think that's the biggest thing is we're friends, and you're cheering for each other. 
yeah, you both want to play, but at the same time, you want the team to do well because the way our contracts were based back then, if the team did well, you did well. So it was kind of based off of team bonuses, your own personal bonuses. But we were both brought up that if the team succeeds, everybody succeeds. Fair enough. You're and like Grant. You're you're one of the one of the guys. When I think of a, a fierce competitor, I, I I think of you. And and I know I know you were real good at at blocking out the the hate and and the fans and and, and just in general. But but what do you what would you say to somebody that that would say that the Oiler fans are too tough on their team, too tough on uh, too tough on players in general? Well, I don't think they're too tough. They just have high expectations, and I think as a player, you should have the same high expectations. I mean, as players, we know we're not playing good. It's Sometimes it's hard to admit, but you know you're not playing good. And players, a lot of times, don't like fans pointing that out, but a lot of times it's the truth. So when it comes time to play, you just have to believe in yourself and trust yourself. I mean, you can block fans out and just play. But fans in Edmonton are very knowledgeable. And yeah, they have high expectations. So if you're not playing well, they're going to tell you you're not playing well. So, as you can see, the Oilers have kind of, they've had quite a bit of a struggle over the past 15 years or so. They went to the Stanley Cup final in 2006 with Chris Pronger. It all kind of fell apart when he left. Then you had kind of the perpetual rebuild days and Connor McDavid came in. The team made the playoffs in 2017, but now they've kind of taken a big step backwards and they haven't looked as competitive as they did when it appeared that new window was opening. What do you think right now the team is lacking and what do you think they need to add to the mix in order to get themselves back up into a contention status? Well, I think the biggest difference is we've changed coaches numerous times. You've changed general managers numerous times. So if you take that out of the equation, there's got to be something in the chemistry build of the team. And good teams always have good chemistry. And the year they lost to the Ducks, it was a close-knit group that had good chemistry. Did changing some of the pieces maybe change that chemistry? It's a possibility. Without being in the room every day, it's hard to tell. But if you eliminate the coaches, you eliminate the general managers, it comes down to chemistry. Could you talk about your days with the Oilers in the 1980s and the glory days? Like Obviously, there was a, an absurd amount of talent on that team, multiple Hall of Famers, players that have their jerseys retired, you, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, just an absurd amount of talent. But could you talk about kind of like what the dressing room was like with that group, like how you guys all, you know, got along, how you jived and how you created chemistry. Do you think that was a key part in the overwhelming success you guys saw during that era? It was. Our team was more a family than even chemistry. I mean, everybody wanted the same thing and everybody would do whatever it took to get to the same thing. And we all believed in it. We all trusted in it. And that created good chemistry. And anybody that Glenn brought in, if they didn't fit in the room, he moved them right back out right away. So you had to fit in the room and you had to fit in the chemistry to be a part of the team. And that's what Glenn was really good at is he would always have 22 or 23 guys that bought into the same system and were willing to do anything for that system. So you said, you said earlier in the podcast something that I, I find interesting that I wasn't really aware of is that contracts back then were based on team success, whereas now they're more based on individual success, performance bonus and things of that nature, or more you know maybe about how many wins you have or how many goals you score or that kind of thing. How now then in this different climate in the NHL when you have things leaning so much more towards individual success, do you create and foster that environment on a team? Is it, is it more difficult now than it was back in the past? It is. You have to get everybody to buy into winning. I mean, a lot of guys now, it's become an individual business where they're worried about individual numbers. 
when at the end of the day, back then, we didn't care about individual numbers. We cared about winning. And you cared about winning as a team, and you had 20 guys that believed in the same thing, whereas it only takes one or two guys to all of a sudden worry about their numbers to throw everything out of kilter. So if you've got one or two guys that are selfish, it's a problem. And that's something that we never had on our teams. Grant Fear joining us on the Oilers Nation radio podcast. Uh, Going to switch gears a little bit, Grant. A big question that I had, and you were very vocal about this over the past year and in the playoffs as well, is goaltender interference. It's been a hot-button issue in the league, but how frustrating <laughs> would that be for a goalie? Like, just not knowing one second you're bumped and it goes in, they're counting it. The next time, you're absolutely steamrolled, it goes in, they're not counting it. Well, I think it's frustrating for goalies. It's frustrating for players. It's frustrating for management. You got to have the old days. You just played. I mean, we you basically had to be run over for goalie interference. Whereas now you don't know, and that's they've created more doubt than anything else because you don't know. You can bump into a guy one day; it's not a penalty. You bump into a guy the same way the next time; it's a penalty. And you, the league's got to take that uncertainty out. I mean, it's got to be you know if you bump into somebody, it's a penalty. So they've got to find a way to have all the officials it the same way right now it doesn't they're not seeing it the same way different officials see it different ways and with the two referee system you could have two guys that see it differently the same thing can happen in the game one will be a penalty one won't and that's part of the problem so would you say the nhl should lean into going back to when you played more of a laissez-faire let the guys play kind of let the players police themselves kind of game or do you think they should ref kind of more intently, they should, you know, have more rules, really make things more solid, and the ref should be more involved. How, how do you think the NHL should go about tackling this issue? I don't think we need more rules. I think we just need to define the rules. I mean, that's kind of the problem. Is we The rules were great back when I played, and they were called. There was no gray area, and you had one official who dictated the game, and everybody knew how that official officiated. So you knew what you were going to get away with that game and what you weren't going to get away with. When you brought the two-man system in, now you have an older guy and a younger guy. Well, the younger guys look at the older guy, and a lot of things get missed that shouldn't be missed. And it creates an uncertainty amongst the players, and that's the hard part. And then you go from regular season to playoffs, and all of a sudden it goes back to more towards what the old school was, where players are going to make a difference in the game, and all of a sudden the referee makes a call that out of the blue, it throws a wrinkle into everybody. So... I'd like to see it be called the same way the whole year. I think that would be the biggest thing. And then you also have the... Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. So you also have the added wrinkle of video review too, right? That's that's, that's kind of a newer thing that I think has really added a lot of confusion. Like, you know, sometimes... um, Yeah, it's it's there to clarify stuff, but... I mean, that's the problem. If there's video review, you can't get the the review wrong. And I saw a couple last year where the... the review that they gave was completely wrong, and that can't happen. With video review, it has to be right each time. You can't have a mistake in video review. So do you think video review is a thing? Is it is it better to have it, or is it better to scrap it and allow the refs to kind of just like exist on the ice and have that just be the game? Do you think the, the video review just complicates well, I, stuff? I think the video review is good in some cases. Like goals, it's good. I think if you haven't got a set theory on goalie interference then it doesn't make much difference because sometimes you're getting that wrong offside should never be video review i mean something that happens in a split second that the naked eye can't see 
shouldn't be under video review. I mean, that's kind of, I find that to be a little bit ticky tack or something like that. That doesn't even affect the play. I, yeah, if it affects the play, then you review it. If it doesn't affect the play, then that, I have no use for that. I I think one of the best things too, Grant, and it's just you know the I, I like to hear from from guys like yourself on Twitter. I think it's important that you guys are uh, are vocal about this stuff and and in the know and and speaking from the players' point of view because you know I mean unfortunately Cam Talbot can't come out and blast the league for that holding the pad in uh, in the uh, in the playoffs there that kind of thing, but. Just to pivot, just to pivot a little bit in the conversation here, uh, one of the one of the better better moments I think in the last few years for us was being able to go watch uh, the Making Coco documentary, and uh, I just wanted to kind of hear from you. Like, I mean, it it has to be it has to be a different experience. I know you, I know a lot of your life has been documented, but it has to be a different experience to kind of watch your life told uh, from your buddies and from from your opponents. That kind of perspective. I just wanted to hear what your uh, what your kind of feelings on that. Oh, you know, it was a lot more fun to see it the second time. Okay. I mean, living it was fun, but it also had some spots that weren't very much fun. Yeah, fair enough. But to see it on, to see it on film was a lot more fun. I'll give it that. And when you're playing with guys, you don't know what they really think. You just hope you're a good teammate. So to see some of the interviews and stuff that came out afterwards and stuff, it, it makes me proud that I was a good teammate. That's, uh, I mean, that's, and that's a neat thing to hear. And it's, and it, you know, you kind of touched on it there. There is, there was some, there was some bad times too. And and I just wonder, like, you know, having to relive that now, um, is there anything where you look back and you kind of, you know, you you hold a grudge, or is it is it something where you just kind of moved on and and you know you had a great career after that and and you're happy with it? Oh, no, life's too short to hold a grudge. I mean, there's there's good things in life. There's bad things in life. I mean, I wasn't a very good student in school, but. I was, probably wasn't a very good student of life either, but I learned the lesson the hard way. And yeah. that part's on me. So you can't hold a grudge over that. I mean, that's, I created my own misery. So that's just something that happens. I mean, that's part of living life, part of growing up. And the fact that I got through it, managed to have a good career out of it, and life's been great since, makes it all worthwhile. Speaking of your life after hockey, obviously we know that you get into golfing a lot, but uh, what else does Grant Fear kind of find himself doing in uh, post-hockey life? Well, actually looking to get back into hockey so I can slow the world down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in the last four years, I've been traveling 200 plus days a year doing charity events. So most of my, about eight months of my years doing charity stuff, running around playing charity golf tournaments, going to charity dinners, and just helping raise money for charities. When you talk about maybe getting back into hockey, what kind of role would you be looking at? Like, what is the ideal position for Grant Fear in the hockey world? Well, obviously, I'm still a huge fan of goalies. So, coaching goalies or something to do with goalies, I think would probably be the ideal job. Who Who was your favorite goalie coach that you had throughout your career? Who do you Who do you feel like had the best effect on your career as a goalie? I didn't have my first goalie coach until I got to Buffalo. So, I'm, by then, I'd already got a dozen years in the league. So, it was fun to have Mitch Corner as a goalie coach because we could compare ideas. I could see what he was thinking. And it was fun to bounce different thoughts and ideas off of him. But the closest thing I had to a coach before that was Ronnie Lowe, my first year. And it was part of getting adapted to the game. And I think that's a lot of what goalie coaching is, is the mental side of it. All the guys have skills. But when the time, when times aren't going well, times aren't going bad, 
you're there to kind of take the heat off the goalies so that they can just play and relax. And sometimes I think that part gets lost. So when you were playing with the Oilers back in the 80s and you didn't have a goalie coach, how did you get that kind of thing then? If you, if you didn't have someone kind of like mellow you out, take the pressure off, who did you turn to? Practice. You just practice till you get it right. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Plus, I had teammates that were as supportive as anybody could ever ask for. And I think that made a huge difference is you've got teammates that even if things are going bad, they're still on your side. They're still patting you on the back every day. And that makes a huge difference just in your self-confidence. Grant, there's been there's been a ton of hype for this conversation. People are excited to hear what uh, what you had to say, and and our sponsor Sherwood Ford. They just they uh, they like to hear from the fans, and they want one of our fans at Oilers Adam asked, uh, "What are some of the weirdest things you've ever had to sign in your career?" Um, weirdest things. Well, we signed some body parts that were a little strange. <laughs> we kind of we kind of thought thank that. Goodness, we were, thank goodness we were young then. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, Grant, before we get, let you go, uh, one more for you. Just wanted to take a look at the upcoming season. Obviously, this is an all-Oilers podcast from OilersNation.com. It's d- for diehard Oilers fans. So give us your take. What's your prediction on the upcoming year for the Oilers? Are they going to get back to the big dance? Do they have enough to get there? I think they've got enough to get there. I mean, I don't think they're going to be a top six team, but they're definitely a top seven or eight team. I mean, I would be surprised and shocked if they didn't make the playoffs this year. Grant, this was tremendous. Well, we want to thank you for your time. It was great to get your take and on the new age of the NHL and also hear a little bit about your playing day. So we really appreciate this. Oh, it's my pleasure. You guys have a good day. Perfect. Thanks, Grant. Have a good summer. Thanks very much, Grant. All right. Take care. Whew. So now we get to the fun parts of uh, breaking down that conversation a little bit here on uh, Oilers Nation Radio. So just a friendly reminder that everything you hear on the Oilers Nation Radio podcast is brought to you by our friends at Sherwood Ford as well as Skip the Dishes. Um, yeah, heck of a conversation. I mean, I think going into it, we were all a little bit hesitant. You know, you're talking to a, you're talking to a hall of famer, both in Alberta and in the national hockey league. That's uh that's something, it's something special you don't get to do every day. So it's a, it's a neat thing. And it's a neat thing for our listeners too. I think they get to hear some cool takes from a yeah, cool it's, guy. It's always a little nerve wracking coming into a conversation like that because you don't want to come across like an idiot. You don't want to ask him <laughs> like a question that he's like, why are you asking me? This is stupid. So, but I think we got like a, there's a, yeah, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. And one thing I definitely took out of that is I think he's got a lot of passion for being involved in a team setting. And I think that he, he would definitely make a good addition to a coaching staff, maybe as a goalie coach, maybe as something else. I don't know, but he seems to, he really understands the importance of the camaraderie on the team, which is something I don't think enough people really give a shit about now. I think we talk more about like individual player performances and systems and this and that, but just like the advent of crashing your head through a wall for your teammates is, is so underrated in today's discussion of sports. It's a, it's a total different tangent. I've started listening to a podcast where they're following these six people that are in a NASA study where they're put together in a, in a pod for six or for a full year. And it's just the six of them. They can't leave the pod or anything like that. And they're talking about how NASA who's, you know, probably the smartest people on earth have never been able to figure out what it takes to put together the perfect group. There's been, there's been missions where it's gone smoothly. There's been missions where everybody walks away hating each other. And it's just, it's a, it's a neat perspective to hear Grant talking about that and not necessarily talking about how as a goalie coach, he's going to be teaching the X's and O's to the guy. He's just there to take a little bit of the weight off the shoulders of a Miko Koskinen 
or a Mike Smith or whoever, you know, whoever he ends up being coach of. Yeah, and that's something I was actually wondering during the interview as well. Like, the Oilers have paraded back all these old legends and all these old legends. Grant's the guy in his interview who just, he seems like he's in love with that team aspect. Like, that's almost the guy you want around. Well, he's done a lot of stuff, a lot of charity stuff with those guys too. Like, he, he's worked with the Oilers over the past couple of years. He's always yeah. he's always in on their charity thing. So, so it makes sense. I don't know. It's so stupid to have to, like, look at every single former oiler and feel like wonder if the fans are going to hate it or not, but just because he's a former oiler. Well, you know, you know, there'd be criticism if he was brought back into be. a role and there's always added pressure right now with the landscape. I think, I think personally it's key for the Oilers right now to kind of move away from the eighties thing. I do think that the eighties Oilers have, have talent in, in whether it be front office gigs or coaching gigs or scouting gigs, whatever, but they should kind of move away from this environment and go and try and influence elsewhere. And the Oilers really should try and change their identity away from like, this is just me talking purely conjecture, but I think having all the eighties guys around creates a tremendous amount of pressure for the current players. I think it becomes, it becomes awkward and and intimidating when you're, you know, comparing yourself to what I think is a legacy that will never be over like overtaken. Like you're, you're there's, there's never the way the league's set up right now with the salary cap, and the draft and this and that. There's never going to be a team in the NHL ever again that's as good as those 80s Oilers were. And no. There, there won't be. It's, there's no dynasty. way. No, the last true there's dynasty no was, the, was the Red Wings. You might have, you might have like a, a, a team for like a one year where the stars align and they, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning this year, that kind of thing where they go and win a bazillion games and they're fantastic. But it's never going to be a prolonged thing of success. And I think having that kind of haunting over your shoulder makes you a little anxious. I think... Sorry, Tyler. I know you. I know you were yeah, chomping yeah. at the bit, but there, I just, I just think that the nice thing with fear, the difference for me, is that here he is. He's talking about stuff that we're that we're not really talking about in hockey right now, which is is that mental side of things. I mean, it's it's starting to become more of the conversation and more of that socioeconomic kind of uh, idea around things. But it's it is neat to hear a guy of the old guard mm-hmm. that recognizes that goalies need help sometimes. Goalies need a break sometimes. Miko Koskinen doesn't need to work on his glove hand as much as he needs to stop thinking about his glove hand. Well, this is also kind of this is also something that exists a lot in baseball, right? Because uh, pitching in baseball is kind of a kind of somewhat similar to goaltending. You're you're kind of the individual in that setting. You're the guy on the mound. You're throwing. You're. It's all about control and precision, and you know being your best that day. And so much of it is mental, and that's why teams are putting like a tremendous amount of resources into their minor league systems like in uh, sports performance and high performance and that kind of thing and having their, their players be able to handle adversity and realize, okay, I had a bad start. I didn't, you know, my, my grip wasn't good. I couldn't throw my curveball today, but that's okay. I'm pitching again in five days and like working with the pressure of that. Is that a thing in the NHL right now? I know kind of like a hockey culture thing is like tough it out, grind it out. But like, you know, there's a, there's a massive psychological and emotional aspect to playing sports. Well, if you remember like even this last season, I don't have the story in front of me, so the details might be fuzzy, but didn't the Bruins send home Tuka Rask for a bit? Things were going really bad. They sent him back. They gave him a break. It was Jarl Holak's team for a bit. Like, I don't even think Rask was on the bench, if I remember this correctly. I'll have to look it up. But, like, maybe... And then Rask came in, and he had a historic playoff run. So maybe that is something that more teams should be taking note of. A lot of people are going to sh- just roll their eyes at this and say, oh, it's a bunch of millennials talking about mental stuff. Talking about feelings. 
talking about how they. But I don't think it's that. I think I think there's um there's a there's an underrated aspect to creating a positive environment. Like everybody, you do better work when you're with people you like, right? Like if we were recording this podcast and the three of us all just like hated each other and it was awkward, we wouldn't record a good podcast. And yeah. it's the same thing with sports too. Like you can, I I I have. I definitely value like um, like advanced stats and analytics and that kind of thing and performance, but it's really hard to quantify and extract what the good team has in the performance because you say, for example, here's 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 one thing, and I know a lot of the the fancy stats community scoffed at it. It was when people said Matt Hendricks was a real boon for the Oilers, and when they lost him, shit kind of hit the fan because they lost a really good communicator that brought people together, and people look, and they're like, okay, Matt Hendricks had a 44% Corsi, and he was useless on the ice. But you don't know what effect his presence had on other players and what their individual objective stats were. So if you had guys on that team, say maybe a Patty Maroon or a Matt Benning, somebody that had like a career season that year when the Oilers made the playoffs in 16-17, how do you know just by looking at their their data and their individual accomplishments, how much of that had to do with somebody else's leadership. And you also don't know, like, Matt Hendricks could have been the one keeping some guys in check. Like, we know that there were some issues behind the scenes with the Oilers where, you know, maybe if you had that firm veteran, other veterans wouldn't be, I want to say, running wild with things a bit, but they might have been a little bit more in line. Well, and Lucic even, yeah. I mean, people were, people viewed it as a backhanded compliment um, towards when he gave Gio the nod because he's older. And people think, well, who was who a young captain that you could be talking about, Milan? That kind of thing. So yeah, I know I get it, and I, I don't know. I think that, I think that Hendricks, the proof is in the pudding because he went, he goes to, he goes to Winnipeg right afterwards, and they seem to kind of gel together as a team. And and there's just there's there's that element there that's just not proven. But even Fear himself pointed to that and said, I don't know, really, at the end of the day, what's going on because I don't know what happens in the locker room. And and I think that's just, that kind of speaks to it right there. But I did, I, I really enjoyed what he said when I asked about um, how you fostered that positive environment in the 80s. And he said, oh, well, we were a family. And Glenn Sather, when someone came in that didn't fit, is he got rid of them right away. And like how important that is to not have a cancer in your locker room. Yeah, and, and I wonder, I, I guess I should have, I probably should have asked, um, was like, was Sather like a guy that was like, sitting on the plane with the boys or was he was he a guy that sat up in that ivory tower and and just kind of looked down and talked to a few guys and got their feelings on things because like you get that sense with most gms now that they're just they're sitting up in the press box and then they come down and they talk to the coaches and that's where they make the decisions on player personnel it's not a lot of there's not a lot of boys in the bus kind of mentality anymore yeah that that is an interesting thing i hate when you have an interview like that and then like 10 minutes after you're like, Oh my God, I saw Cause I wanted to ask him, like if you did go back to work in the NHL, would you prefer that it would be with the Oilers or a team you played with and have history with? Or would you prefer a fresh start where you can like reshape a different legacy? Yeah. Maybe you should give him a call, get him back on the horn. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Bill Ranford not in LA right now? He is Is in LA. Okay. Yeah. But he was, but he was in Arizona before that. Right. Am I, am I completely out of, out of left field here? I'm I feel like sure there was a former Oiler in Arizona as well as a goalie. I know Rollison was in Anaheim. Ranford was in L.A. I know Steve Smith was coaching and Charlie Huddy was coaching. Are you well. thinking of Sean Burke in Arizona? He that was might the, be who I was yeah. thinking of because he was the one that talked to Dubnik. Yeah, that's yeah. who it was. That's who I was thinking of. But anyways, yeah, no, it's it would be interesting to hear if he does want to just work with a whole new organization, yeah. maybe some friendly faces kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, it's it's it is just cool. It's cool to hear a guy like that say that he wants to get back into the the thick of things i know he i know he enjoys doing charity work and that's a 
that's an admirable thing, but I also get it that you just want to, sometimes you just want to work. And like after a life in hockey, like I would imagine, like, yeah, the charity stuff is great for how long he's done it, which is great too. But I would imagine that there is a little bit of a temptation in going back to like a, all right, I know that this month, here's my schedule. Here's where I need to be at this time. I go do it. These are my days off type of thing. Yeah. No, exactly. It must be hard to retire from, from that kind of life. Cause like you talk to Grant Fear and it's very clear what he enjoyed most about playing in the NHL was being part of that team setting. But given his answers, it's like what that guy loved and what got him fired up was being a part of a team. And like, you know, him coming through for other guys, other guys coming through for him, working together, like that kind of thing. And when, when you retire from playing professional sports, when your entire life is oriented around a team, how do you get that back in your life? When it's, it, it, it's such a difficult thing to, to we, capture. It's like, we've thought of so many good questions after this interview. <laughs> It's like us all leaving <laughs> when you leave educational systems and you have all those friends because you're in high school or yeah. or university and then you separate and things just change. Well, we came up with a, a fantastic interview after our Grand Fear interview. So maybe stick around for uh, <laughs> Grand uh, Fear Part 2 uh, down the road. Interview. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I would love to talk to Grant again. I would love to talk to Georges again. I would love to talk to Rob Shrimp again. I think they're all they're all just really candid guys that, that you know, no holds barred. They... They answered every question, never balked at anything. It's it's an it's a cool thing to have. Well, it, their give a shit meter is pretty high, right? Like you got former athletes who like just literally could give less of a fuck about being a former oiler or a former hockey player. They just want to move on with their lives. But you have someone like Grant, and I love how you can just throw it like, "Hey, the current goalie interference model," and he'll have like good educated answers because this is a guy who watches a lot of hockey and you'll ask him about Mike Smith and like, we didn't even bring up the playoffs this year. And he goes like, Hey, Mike Smith was our best player in the playoffs this year. That's what you tell people who are doubting him. Like he has, he's good and he's staying up to date with the league, which is so cool because it shows you that he's actually passionate about the sport. Well, and I, and like when I, I genuinely meant it when I said like, I think it's important for guys like him to, to, to have that voice and keep that voice going, whether it's, whether it's a PA style thing or what, I don't know, but just, but just to have have fan something for fans to point to would be like, listen, if Grant Fear says that there's something wrong with the goaltender interference thing, maybe we're not all just a bunch of idiots screaming at the NHL. Maybe there is something wrong and there's something that needs to be done. But it was an interesting take of his too, that talking about how the two referee system just adds in another element. I always think of it as a positive thing because you just have more eyeballs on the ice, but you also add an extra opinion into the conversation. And then on top of that, video review. The video review adds yeah, another review. opinion, and you don't know how many people are in that. And video we always room we always say that, that uh, we always say video review is not an opinion; it's objective. It is. It is, and like I said, you don't know in that war room in Toronto how many people are there. I know the NBA war room has like forty people in it at any one time. You come to like a massive conclusion after everybody like has like a thing to say, and there's you can't just you can't just break down like a real life setting into black and white. I well, mean, and that's and that's the thing, and that's what Grant's kind of asking for, and I get it, and it. You wonder if the league will ever be able to do it maybe. because it is goaltender interference is a gray area. Maybe it's, you go back to the good old days and you have, you know, two linesmen, one ref and that one ref is in control of the game and that's how it works. And you just like know who to pin it all on. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. You take a step backwards in order to like further the game almost. It would be interesting to see them go back to a one official. It's, it, it, it's, it's worrisome. Now they're talking about, oh, okay, like here was this weird situation with San Jose and St. Louis. And now we're going to add this new review. And this new review, like the, the Matt Duchesne offside goal just fucked everything up. Like he scored it that did. asinine goal. 
And like, you, you really want to avoid that. But was that that big of a deal? Like we've, we've had so many stupid calls now where some guy's leg was like, is that really part of the game? Do we need more of that? Do we need more like hardcore surveillance in hockey? It'd be interesting to go back to that game, see who the linesman was. Cause that linesman like significantly altered hockey history that day. Totally. But that, when you look back at even the Vegas San Jose thing, I feel like that's almost more of a creation of more rules and more second guessing of the referees than it is actually an issue. When, when, you know, McSorley gets, uh, in the Brashear incident, that, that doesn't, that doesn't equate to the same thing, obviously, but, but it's that same idea of, you know, a referee is like, okay, I'm not going to call that when he sees it. And then he sees a guy gushing blood on the ice and he's like, well, fuck, I got to call something. Yeah. And, so, and he, and he also had seven San Jose sharks screaming at him. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's an interesting thought to see it roll back. I just don't, I guess the cynic in me doesn't believe it'll ever happen because we're, we're also worried about safety and, and, you know, that kind of, we're more aware of, of injuries and, and head issues and that kind of thing going forward. It's just, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. This was great. Having Grant Fear on was awesome. It sparked a good debate. I'm expecting this debate to carry over to next week. Did you know Zach Stortines accepted a position with the Sudbury Wolves? I didn't. He will be an assistant coach for the Sudbury Wolves. Let's that, get uh, let's get Zach Stortini on the podcast. I'd love to talk to him. Right, I will try to figure that out. But out of boy, your arm, Chuck. And shout out to you for getting Grant out there. That was a that was a big get for you. Shout out to his booking agent, Lisa Fear. Oh yes, fair <laughs> enough. Thanks. Yeah, big thanks to Grant for coming on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, that was great. Big thanks to our sponsors, Skip the Dishes and Sherwood Ford. If you uh, want to check out their stuff, it's skipthedishes.com. Sure, we're at Sherwood Ford on Twitter or at Sherwood Ford underscore the giant on Instagram. Uh, shout out to them for the idea of getting Dave Tippett to stand in front of the tip stash on the yeah. old Sherwood Ford truck. I know the boys were all jacked up and then they uh, then they just went out and won a championship that day at the Spectre Golf Classic. So yeah, thanks to Skip the Dishes. Thanks to Sherwood Ford. Thanks to Grant Fear. Thanks to Coombe. Thanks to Urem Chuck. Shout out Damien. Best wishes. We'll talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.